Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, December 7th. In today's news, President-elect Biden picks Javier Becerra as his nominee for health secretary. Kelly Leffler dodges questions in a Georgia Senate debate, and Rudy Giuliani is in the hospital with COVID. But first, the big idea. A few weeks after President Trump took office, his chief strategist, Steve Bannon, declared that the new administration's primary focus would be an unending daily battle for what he called the deconstruction of the administrative state. Bannon explained that what he meant by that phrase was discarding the post-World War II political and economic consensus in Washington. The mastermind behind Trump's nationalist ideology and combative tactics had a falling out with the president later when he trashed his children to author Michael Wolff. And this summer, Bannon got arrested on a Chinese billionaire's yacht and charged with defrauding conservative donors. He's out on a $5 million bond. But even if Bannon himself was marginalized, the project he outlined at the Conservative Political Action Conference in 2017 continues. John Mitchell who was Richard Nixon's attorney general, famously said when they took power in 1969 to watch what they do and not what they say. Too often in the Trump era, a lot of folks have paid more attention to the president's crazy tweets, the shiny objects, than what he has actually done to gut government. A lot of times these moves have been less glamorous and don't lend themselves to cable news segments, but generations of Americans will feel their consequences. As Trump himself is distracted and consumed with peddling ludicrous conspiracy theories to claim he won an election that he lost handily, the Bannon acolytes inside the government, people we don't hear about, whose names you don't know, are working seven days a week during the final weeks that they're in power to accelerate efforts to lock in last-minute policy gains and staffing assignments that they hope will live on long past January 20th. There's so many examples. Here are a few. Last week, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services adopted a much longer and more difficult citizenship test that could further curb legal immigration. The Pentagon on Friday named 11 new members, including former Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski and political advisor David Bossie, to a Defense Department Business Advisory Board. With no fanfare at all, the president quietly signed an executive order last week drafted by aides in the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy aimed at controlling the future use of artificial intelligence by the government. David Nakamura, Juliet Eilperin, and Lisa Ryan report that a major focus of the Trump people is making moves that will make it procedurally and politically challenging for Joe Biden to fulfill his campaign promises. They're trying to box him in as much as possible. Dozens of Trump loyalists are burrowing inside the government so that they can thwart the incoming administration. Political appointees are literally changing their job descriptions in ways that will make it harder for Biden to get rid of them, with the apparent goal of undermining the new president from the inside. This is happening in some particularly egregious ways inside the Defense Department and the Justice Department. Administration officials are also rushing to auction off drilling rights in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge on January 6th. They're moving to slash U.S. troop levels in Afghanistan. They're implementing new rules to limit drug prices, and they're creating a new personnel category for civil servants and policymaking roles that could strip them of job protections. 
The Department of Homeland Security is racing to complete an additional 50 miles of the border wall along the Mexico border. The state and Treasury Departments are preparing additional economic sanctions on both China and Iran. Senate Republicans, who may lose their governing majority in January, depending on the pair of runoffs in Georgia, are moving swiftly to confirm Trump's conservative picks to the federal courts, lifetime appointments, and other nominees whose tenures will extend into the Biden presidency and in some cases beyond. This rush has come despite the president's relative inattention to governing since his defeat. It's driven by these hardcore ideologues inside the White House, but also cabinet secretaries who are eager to burnish their own legacies. Some are looking to get jobs at conservative think tanks, and they think some of these hardline moves will help that. At the Environmental Protection Agency, political appointees plan to finalize five major rules before Inauguration Day, two of which will raise the bar for enacting new public health protections. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows has questioned the need for one of the rules because it would mandate the gradual replacement of lead and copper pipes across the country. But EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, who's made improving water infrastructure a hallmark of his tenure, has nonetheless pressed hard to finalize it. The Interior Department is also moving to justify scaling back protections for the greater sage-grouse across 51 million acres of land out west. It's been blocked in court, but they're trying to get some new language through before the deadlines. And they're also proposing a rule to weaken safeguards for drilling in the Arctic Ocean. The Office of Management and Budget is speeding up work on an unusually detailed new fiscal 2022 budget with Trump's priorities intact, particularly at DOD. Career budget analysts were told to complete work on the Pentagon budget's discretionary spending proposal last week, several weeks earlier than a normal budget would be proposed. And over at the Department of Veterans Affairs, Secretary Robert Wilkie is making sweeping changes to outsource to private companies the reviews that determine compensation, health care, and other benefits for veterans. And the White House, days after the election, began moving to appoint Trump loyalists to a key commission that next year will review whether some underused VA hospitals should be closed or scaled back. Many veteran advocates fear that this is part of a long-term strategy by Trump to shrink the government-run health care system for men and women who have served our country in uniform. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Pearl Harbor Day. Number one, Joe Biden has picked California Attorney General Javier Becerra to lead the Department of Health and Human Services, a crucial position in the coalescing administration for which fighting the coronavirus looms as the most urgent mission. In selecting Becerra, who served 24 years in Congress before taking the attorney general post in 2017, Biden has picked someone with quite an unorthodox background for health secretary. Becerra had been under consideration for attorney general, but apparently got passed over for that, so he got the health job instead. This job running the sprawling department has often gone to governors, and public health officials have been urging the Biden transition team to select someone with some expertise in medicine, given that the raging pandemic will remain front and center for many months. But Biden has been under even greater pressure to select more Latinos in his cabinet. Becerra becomes the second designated nominee who is Latino after Alejandro Mayorkas, Biden's pick for Homeland Security Secretary. Becerra has sued the Trump administration more than 100 times, and he's been the lead state AG in a multi-state fight to preserve the Affordable Care Act in a case that's now before the Supreme Court. He is the son of Mexican immigrants and the first in his family to go to college. He graduated from Stanford for undergrad and law school. 
Also, Amy Goldstein and Sungmin Kim are reporting that Biden has picked Rochelle Walensky for the job of director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. She is an infectious disease specialist at Massachusetts General Hospital and a professor of medicine at Harvard. She's well-respected for her work, including on the comparative effectiveness of treatments for HIV and AIDS. Number two, Republican Senator Kelly Loeffler repeatedly declined to say during a nationally televised debate on Sunday night who won the 2020 election. She was asked about the president's baseless claims of election fraud in Georgia at least five times and ducked at every turn, highlighting the challenge that she faces as she tries to court Trump supporters without directly repeating his false claims that hundreds of thousands of votes were tainted by fraud. Leffler repeatedly attacked her Democratic opponent, Raphael Warnock, with the exact same lines over and over and over again. It was comically robotic to watch. She literally uttered the phrase radical liberal Raphael Warnock more than a dozen times, cramming it into nearly every one of her answers during the hour-long debate, no matter what the question was. Warnock contrasted his origin story growing up in the projects in Savannah with the largesse of his opponent, who's the richest member of the Senate by marriage. He accused her of using her position for personal gain, saying she sold stocks earlier this year after receiving a briefing on how bad the coronavirus really was. Warnock also stressed that his political beliefs are not rooted in socialism or Marxism, but in his Christian faith. Warnock, who is black, called Leffler, who is white, a woman who, quote, picked a fight with the black women on her WNBA basketball team. Leffler retorted that there is not, quote, a racist bone in her body. And Georgia's Republican governor, Brian Kemp, issued a statement late last night in response to a call by Trump for a special session of the legislature there to overturn Biden's victory in the state, saying doing so is not an option that's allowed under either state or federal law. Trump was in the state for a two-hour rally on Saturday night, and he railed against Kemp. He even encouraged Republican Congressman Doug Collins, who just lost to Leffler in the Senate primary, to challenge the governor in a 2022 primary. Number three. The president tweeted on Sunday that his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, has COVID. The 76-year-old traveled to Michigan, Arizona, and Georgia last week and met indoors with state legislators in an effort to persuade them to overturn Biden's win. Videos of those appearances showed Giuliani was not wearing a mask during those meetings. In fact, hours before Trump's tweet, Giuliani appeared on Fox News, where he repeated the president's false claims. Josh Dossi and Felicia Sonmez report that Giuliani is being treated this morning at Georgetown University Medical Center. It's unclear why it was the president who disclosed Giuliani's condition or whether he had permission to do so. In a statement it said it was releasing with Giuliani's consent last night, the Trump campaign said that he tested negative twice immediately preceding his trips to Arizona, Michigan, and Georgia. The statement said the former New York mayor did not experience any symptoms for COVID until more than 48 hours after his return from those trips. People who are asymptomatic, of course, are still able to spread the virus. When he's been around others who have tested positive, Giuliani has refused to quarantine, including after a news conference last month at the Republican National Committee headquarters when his son, who was standing at his side, tested positive. In Arizona, legislative staff abruptly announced new coronavirus precautions last night after the Giuliani news broke. The state Senate will be closed in the coming week because of concerns about Giuliani's visit. Six days ago, the Arizona GOP posted a picture of maskless lawmakers gathered in close quarters to Giuliani. At least 15 Republican legislators in Phoenix may have been directly exposed to the virus because of Trump's lawyer, according to the Arizona Republic. And in Georgia, Giuliani testified at a packed legislative hearing in the state capitol on Thursday. At least one Georgia GOP event was canceled for today following news of his infection, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And in Michigan, 
Giuliani and a few state lawmakers did not wear masks during a committee hearing in Lansing. At one point in the meeting, according to the Detroit News, Giuliani even asked a witness to remove her mask as she was sitting next to him. Meanwhile, business is booming in Philadelphia at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. The owners of the gardening center say they have sold $1.3 million in merchandise since Giuliani held his bizarre news conference there last month. Among their most popular products are shirts that say, Make America Rake Again, and Lawn and Order. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, December 7th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.